Yes, Lord, we praise you. Amen. We love you. Amen. Oh, thank you for your recovery. Amen. Thank you for all that you've revealed of yourself. Amen. Even that we could have this training. Amen. Oh, we, we pray for each one of us. Amen. May we be under your personal training. Amen. Lord, speak to each one of us. Amen. Minister to us. Amen. Lord, we, we are all together. Amen. We're all the same. Amen. We need you. Amen. Oh, we turn our heart to you. Amen. Pray that you'd work in us in these uh, two days together. Amen. Oh, you'd shine on us, Lord. Amen. You'd speak to us. Amen. Uh, the whole time would be a time under your speaking and shining. Amen. Bless every sister. Amen. Oh, bless those who gathered physically Amen. as they fellowship and blend. Oh, and they pursue the truth. Amen. Enlighten them. Amen. Shine on them, Lord. All oh, the dear sisters in Zoom. Amen. Oh, may they may they be saved from distraction. Amen. Able to receive your speaking. Amen. Oh, give them special grace. Amen. To be able to receive the word. Amen. Bless them, Lord. Amen. Pray for the dear ones in Miyama. Oh, bless the internet connection. That there be no frustration. Amen. Oh, Lord, your blessing would be poured out. Amen. Your grace would flow. Amen. Oh, it would be like we're just in one body, Amen. enjoying the one speaking Amen. to bring us to the one goal. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Cover us and bless us. Amen. 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 Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Oh, it's so good. It's so good to be here. You know, our, our subject is Old Testament patterns of sisters. These Old Testament patterns of sisters, useful to God for his economy. Amen. Amen. So we have uh, three main sisters we're going to look at. We're going to look at Rahab, Deborah, and Ruth. And of course, we will mention others, but these are the three uh, that we're going to look at uh, this weekend. And um, for message one, we're going to look at the pattern of Rahab. Well, the book of Rahab is the beginning of the books on history. So we just finished the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, and then Moses has passed away, and then you have Joshua bringing the children of Israel into the promised land, which is the goal that God had for Israel to bring them into the good land, that they could enjoy the riches of it. And as a result of enjoying the riches of the good land, they could build up the temple for the testimony of the Lord and for the spreading of the Lord. And um, this, this is a, a marvelous book. Uh, it's full of great stories, but uh, it also has a lot of light for us. You know, people like to tell the stories. And, you know, we got songs like Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, Jericho. You know, we sing songs about it, tell the stories about it. But we want to see the intrinsic significance in this book. What, what was really behind the scene? So when you, when you look at it, it looked like uh, Joshua, he sent the spies into the good land to check it out. It looks like that. But actually, the account shows they went there to get Rahab. Now, probably, if you were thinking of getting somebody, you wouldn't get her. You'd probably want to get some really nice lady, not, not a harlot. Right? But it's interesting as the spies, they went in 
And if you look at, if you read the account carefully, you can see they went there in the evening and it says they, they went to Rahab, the harlot's house, and then they lay down. So they, she must have had like a hotel or a bed and breakfast or something like that, right? She's running this place. They went there, they lay down, and then um, somebody knocked on the door and, and said, uh, oh, there's some people came to your house, and uh, they're, they're spies. They come to spy out the land, and you need to, you need to, um, you know, uh, turn them over. And then she did an interesting thing. She lied. But it was a blessed lie. <laughs> and she, she said, oh, yeah, they were here, but they've gone. They, eh? Yeah, they've gone, and they just got outside the gate, so they won't be very, very far away, so go, go catch them. So they, they left her. Then she went up to, uh, and, and told them, come up to the top of the house on the roof, and then she covered them with a whole lot of flax. She was drying out flax. She covered with them with flax. And in, in the process, she said to them something like this. We've heard what you've done and what Jehovah your God has done. And the heart of everybody is melted. They've got no spirit left. We know your God is going to give this land to you. And uh, then she said, I asked you, save me and my father's house and my brothers and sisters. And they, they said to her, okay, okay, let's have a deal. If you don't tell anybody about what our mission was coming here, you don't tell anybody, you keep it quiet, then and if you take this scarlet thread and hang it out the window, uh, then we will guarantee we can save you. But if you leave the house, we can't guarantee. But if you stay in the house with your family, uh, we will save you. And uh, then, of course, as the story, story uh, goes on, uh, they went back. They reported to, to Joshua uh, how... The people's heart is melted. The land is, the Lord has given it to us. And uh, so then the Lord showed Joshua what to do. And it's an interesting uh, military strategy. They just walked around and didn't say anything. They had trumpet. They just walked around, walked around. Seven days. On the seventh day, they walked around seven times. And then they shouted and the walls came down. It's like the sign time, just around the bed, like Jericho, Jericho, and the wolves came tumbling down. Right? So, and the wolves came down, and then the army went in, and they, Joshua told them before they went in, told the spies, go to Rahab the harlot's house and bring out her family. So they went, first they went in, they took the family, and they brought them outside, and then they went in and they destroyed the whole city. And, um, the Lord had instructed them that they had to destroy everything, everything. And uh, we, we read the account um, where, where uh, Achan actually coveted some gold, silver, and fancy garment, Babylonian garment. And that was ended up causing him to be defeated at Ai when they went to the Battle of Ai. But anyway, uh, I want you, to, want you to consider this account of the Lord gaining Rahab. And it's interesting. The book of Joshua is very similar to the book of Ephesians. You, you might think, well, maybe the book of Acts because you know, they're, they're moving. But God's purpose was to bless the children of Israel with the land. And that land was going to be an all, it was an all-inclusive land which would supply and minister to all their needs. That was 
That was the purpose. He was going to, and from the enjoyment of that land, they would actually actually build up uh, the, the, the temple uh, for God's testimony. And we also know by prophecy that from these people, from that land, Jesus would be born. So it also had that intention to gain a people, to gain a land where they could get a testimony for the Lord and the Lord would be able to come and be incarnated and born uh, the first time. So if you, if you look at the, the land, you know, the description of the land from Deuteronomy was this very rich land. And um, when God's blessing, he blesses us with rich items of himself. So if you look at Ephesians, you know, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. So similar. So you have the land of Israel, the good land was everything that they needed, right? And it's a picture of us and God's blessing to us, blessing us with everything in Christ. Hallelujah. This is, this is a, a picture. Now, in Ephesians, it says we were blessed. And one of the blessings is that we're chosen. We're chosen unto sonship. And it also talks about we are redeemed. In Christ, we have redemption. It's a big blessing, brothers and, brother and sisters. It's a, it's a big blessing that, that we actually have redemption. That is the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing of our sins. That's a big blessing. What's a curse? A curse is to be under the judgment and condemnation of your sin. The blessing is to be forgiven. And this is what, this is what that red thread that Rahab hung out the window, you know, of the wall. Red signifies the redeeming blood of Christ. And it was a, it was a testimony. It spoke of the testimony of the redemption that she was to experience the forgiveness and the cleansing. So you have the blessings of all of it, or all the good provisions, the abundant provisions of the Lord. Plus, you have forgiveness. Who needs forgiveness here? You all need forgiveness? Right? So this story is for you. But it's kind of interesting in, in, uh, in verse 9 uh, of, of chapter 2, it says, this is um, Rahab speaking. She said to the men, I know that Jehovah has given you the land. So she had faith. She believed that Jehovah was giving that land. Uh, to them, and the dread of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt before you. Wow. It's easy to win a battle when they're just all melting, right? And then he says, she says, for we have heard how Jehovah dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sion, and to Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard, our hearts melted, for there's no longer remained any spirit in any man because of you. For Jehovah your God, he is God in heaven above and upon earth beneath. What is she saying here? She's saying, I've heard the report, I believe the report, and I'm for you, right? Isn't that what happened to you? How did you get saved? How did you get saved? Somebody reported about Christ, what Christ had done, and that you had the realization from that report, faith was generated in you, you ended up believing. Wow. That's amazing. The parallel, huh? 
And so um, she, she ended up, of course, making a deal because she believed. She made a deal uh, that the spies would save her, would protect her. She protect them, uh, and she made that deal. That was an expression of her faith. Amen. And then, as the story goes on, of course, uh, when they came in and uh, the walls fell down, uh, she experienced the salvation. And you know what happened? She was a Canaanite, and she had, she was of the one of the tribes that was dedicated to destruction. She was, and she's in Jericho, which was a city that was cursed. So she's a person dedicated to destruction in a cursed environment, and she believes into Israel's God. And that gave her salvation. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? And, you know, that's exactly the same that happens to us. Weren't, weren't you condemned? I know. The first time I heard the gospel, I was crying. I was so convicted. I was condemned. And I, I had the feeling if I went to hell, that's what I needed. That's what I deserved. I had that feeling. And I, and I had no spiritual background. That was the first message. I had all this realization. You know, that was a bit like Rahab. You know, she just got this experience, heard the testimony, had the realization. She knew she had to leave that condemned state. She knew that. If she stayed there, she would stay in condemnation. Okay, now, let me just, let me read you some verses. Uh, this is in the book of Ephesians. And chapter 1, you have the, the promise, the blessing, the hearing of faith. But chapter 2 describes our background. Now, I don't want you to think too much about this, but are you better or worse than Rahab? Okay, that's enough. Don't think any more about that. <laughs> right. But look what, look what Paul says about you and me. Look what he says. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 1, he says, and you though dead in your offenses and sins. Doesn't that describe Rahab? She's dead. She's destined for destruction and then all the sins. She is dead in her trespasses and sins. Actually, you also, you also were like that. I don't want to offend any of you sisters, but there are no good sisters. The only dead, sinful ones. But it's not the end of the story, praise the Lord, for that. But that's our, that's our origin, you know. And uh, I was thinking, I was thinking about this. And when I was thinking about it, uh, this, this song from the Blue Songbook came to my mind. Fallen, right? That's the way we all began. None of us began good. All of us began fallen. All of us were dead. All of us were in sin. And it says, fallen, that's the way we all begin. Imprisoned by the evil fate we're in. Look at Rahab. She's got this evil fate. She knew she was destined for death. The whole place is going to be destroyed. Actually, that was our situation. Your situation. 
You were born fallen. It wasn't that you were good and then you turned out bad. It's like we have this uh, little saying about the full-time training. You know, some trainees go, huh, it seems that, that I'm getting worse. The longer I'm in the training, the worse I am. And, and uh, you know, one of the brothers said, no, 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 no. You've always been that bad, only you never realized it. <laughs> It's the training. It's the training that makes you realize. And you know, some people are deceived about themselves. They're deceived about themselves, and they 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 think, "Oh, I'm okay. I'm good." Like I was telling some brothers this week, my best friend, when when I got saved, I preached the gospel to him. He said to me, "Well, you needed it. You were really bad." And, and I thought, "Well, you were worse than me." <laughs> But, you know, it's easy for us to recognize somebody else is bad. But actually, to know, to know you, you are bad. That's what your background was. Doesn't matter what you think about yourself, that's a fact. You know, people, people today, you know, in our modern philosophy, they want everybody to feel good, even if they're not good. At least you feel good, you know. You fail everything, but we don't want you to feel bad about that. You're okay. So we lower everything down to that. But God doesn't do that. God just says, you're bad. You're dead, right? But he describes, and I want to say a little bit about this. He describes how we were deadened. In verse 2, it says, you were dead in offenses and sins in which... You once walked. So it's like that was our lifestyle. We were living this out. You walked according to the age of this world, according to the ruler of the authority of the air, of the spirit which is now operating in the sons of disobedience. So, you know, in the world you have ages. I don't mean you know, old folks like me and young folks like you. No, not that age. It's like this is a period. There's a period of time where there's a certain philosophy of that time. Now, let me just give you an example. When I was a boy, I heard my dad and the neighbor discussing somebody who was homosexual and was imprisoned for homosexuality. So in that age homosexuality was criminal. Today, I don't know what you could say. It is promoted. It is tried to be normalized or, you know, uh, teaching kids and all this kind of stuff. You know, uh, somebody, they said they have a sign. Uh, homosexual, no, heterosexuality is, is not normal. It's just common. Yeah, that was in a school, a banner in a school in Hamilton. So the age is different now. Now the age is, oh, you have to accept all this. Now, who changes the age? Who changes it? For sure God didn't. So the next verse says, according to the ruler of the authority of the heir. So there is an evil administration, an evil authority that is influencing the thought of people in this age. And and whether we like it or not, we are subject to this age's philosophy. You're seeing it all the time. You're hearing it all the time. It's being promoted uh, even if you don't believe in it, it's it's just it's just affecting you. It's just affecting you, and it's a it's a little bit like the illustration of you know putting a frog in a pot of cold water and then heating it up. The frog will stay there till he's cooked, and it's a bit like that. The devil brings in a thought, and it just slowly heats up until it's cooked us, and then, then we've got it. And, and God says, 
you're dead and in sin because of this, because your mind has been affected. And I'm not saying just on this subject, <laughs> all the philosophy of the age today. The only thing that's, that's not according to the age is this book. It's ageless. Uh, people were believing it, practicing it, living according to it for 2,000 years. This, this is the only book, the only book. So, um, and so it says, this spirit is operating in the sons of disobedience. So the philosophy of the age, the authority of the age conditions, conditions us to, to a degree that we end up living a disobedient life toward God, a disobedient life toward God. And, you know, why, why did God destroy all the nations that were around at this time in Canaan? Why did he do that? Because the age had so corrupted them. In their worship to their God, they burnt their children. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a mother worshiping God by burning her baby? That's demonic. And, and uh, you know, that's one of the things that was cited. And the fact that they were mixed uh, in, in, their, in their breeding somehow with some evil, evil angels, and that's where the giants uh, came from. Uh, God wanted to wipe that corruption out and then have a pure race, a, a race that he had called, who lived according to him and would bear his testimony. So, you know, uh, sisters, you have to realize we, we had a background that was like this, right? and, we had a philo- and we have a philosophy today that's causing us to live contrary to God's purpose. Um, you know, the, the Bible is really clear. You know, there's one husband, one wife, right? That's God made them male and female. This, it's really clear. Um, yet today, um, people have invented terminology that, um, I, I don't know if you could use the word, desinizes, <laughs> re- removes the sinfulness of it. So, so people say, oh, this is my partner. What does that mean? This is not biblical. It's not in the Bible. It's a, it's a, it's a term that's used so that people describe a relationship they're having with another person um, that's not ordained by God. It's, you know, if, if people have partners, uh, they're living either in fornication or adultery. So when somebody says, this is my partner, say, oh, are you in adultery or are you in fornication? So that, like, that, that shows how terminology of the age has brought people around to accept it. They, they accept this. And... Um, you, you should never use that term in describing your spouse. Never. I just sales me. He drove me mad. He, he's trying to sell us something, and he, he kept saying, your partner, talking about Pauline. I said, I don't have a partner. She's my wife. Oh, sorry. And then two sentences later, your partner. I said, I told you. I don't know how many times. But it's like this guy, he's, he, he's gone. It's you know, fully, fully corrupted, fully corrupted by the philosophy. But look at look what it goes on to say. So you, you can say this parallels the situation of the children of Israel looking at Jericho. This is what the people were like, right? And Rahab was like this. But verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in offenses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So Rahab, she was dead, destined for destruction. She believed, and God was rich in mercy and saved her. Same as you and same as me. I was destined for destruction, and so were you, whether you realize it or not. Maybe you, you think you were doing okay. No, you weren't doing okay. According to the Bible, you weren't. But if you believed in Christ, God has expressed his mercy to you. Wow. Praise the Lord. He loved us. And then, then he made us alive. Now, you know what was really interesting about the story of Rahab? was not just her salvation, but what happened to her afterwards. What happened to her afterwards. You know, it's really easy to get saved. It's really easy. God's done all the hard work. You just have to believe, confess, call, and the Lord will come into you and save you. But what you do after that is quite challenging. What do you do after that? Okay. With, with Rahab, the, the account goes that she married Solomon. So, and it's kind of thought and it's probable. It's not stated, but it's probable he was one of the spies. She married him. That's a big thing for a condemned harlot to marry a leader in Israel. What was the significance of that? What's the significance of her marrying Solomon? You know, you believe in the Lord. After you believe in the Lord, you've got your, you got your rest of your life to live. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? If you're smart, you'll be like Rahab. Find one who's really for the Lord and marry him. <laughs> now, I don't mean... I don't mean physically. Right? That's what she did physically. But how can we apply that spiritually? Right? You're a condemned sinner. You get saved. Now, you've you got, you got to live the rest of your life, and you want to live the rest of your life meaningful, not just, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, praise the Lord, I'm, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, my ticket's in my hand, my bag's all packed. I'm on my way to heaven, shouting victory. We used to have a dumb song that we used to sing in Christianity like that, right? No, no, no. That's, that's not the way to go. Listen, the significance of her marrying Selman is as a person who turns to God, you have to join yourself to the right persons. If you can join yourself to the right persons, you can have an issue from that that we'll talk about in a few more minutes, an issue from that that's meaningful. Okay, let me, let me give a testimony. Uh, like I, I, I said to you, uh, I had no Christian background. I went to one meeting. I got saved. And it, it took a while, but after a while, I, I ended up joining myself to some brothers who were really seeking the Lord loving the Lord and seeking the Lord. And so from a life of, of practicing sinful things uh, day by day, I started to practice praying, reading the Bible, reading spiritual books with brothers and, and, and um, preaching the gospel and having the desire to be for the Lord and serve the Lord. And uh, then then through that, I eventually got the heart to serve the Lord. Right? And so 
I then had uh, a companion that we served the Lord together with. We were kind of joined together. And we started to read Watchman's books about the church life and started to seek to have the proper church because everybody knows that denominations and free groups are wrong. Everybody knows that. It's not God's purpose. It's not in the Bible. And we, we, we know when we're in it, we're not satisfied. But we know in the Bible you have churches city by city that express Christ, that live Christ. So you want that as a seeking Christian. So we were seeking that. Then by God's arrangement and sovereignty, I happened to travel to Southeast Asia. When I was in Indonesia, I met a brother from Hong Kong. And this brother from Hong Kong asked me to come and stay with him when I went to Hong Kong. When I was there, he said to me one day, he said, I have to go to see this church. I think you'd like this church. I never told him anything what, what I was seeking. But somehow he figured it out. And it wasn't a church meeting. He was just doing some business in a book room. And he's talking to the book room manager. And I'm kind of talking Chinese. And I'm kind of walking around. Ooh, there's a lot of Watchman Nee books here. And then I found out. I was in the church in Hong Kong that I had no idea how to contact. I had hoped I could contact it when I went there. I never spoke to anybody there about it. And I just find myself in it. And then this brother, the book room manager, his English wasn't very good. And I kind of ruined their business lunch because I was so excited and asking so many questions. And, you know. and, and so he said, I'll introduce you to Brother Wei who was Washington's school friend, was a co-worker. And, um, and so it ended up, I met Brother Way, and after being with him and going to a meeting, the Lord told me, you have to resign, resign from the mission you're working with, resign from this group you're associated with, and join yourself to this. I married the right person. I got into the Lord's recovery, right? And you know the good thing is the Lord's recovery is not just for now. You know why we are here? Got any idea, Daphne, why you're on the earth? Not not many people have any idea why, why they're doing here. They're just spending time, right? Okay. Rahab, she married Selman. And there was an issue. What was the issue? She had a son called Boaz. Boaz married Ruth. They had an issue. Jesse. Jesse. Oh, Obed, was it? And then Jesse, and then David, the king. Right? So in the genealogy, in the genealogy, you have Rahab's name mentioned because she was in the lineage that brought Christ to the earth. Oh, sisters, when you join yourself to the proper persons, in the Lord's recovery and live for the Lord's interest, you know what you're going to do? You're going to bring Christ to the earth. Wow. Isn't it amazing? Isn't that amazing? Oh, I think it's I think it's just unbelievable. And Toby. How did you get here? At one time, you met some brothers on the university and you joined yourself to them. Listen. After I got saved, 
I had no idea what, how to be a Christian. I had absolutely no idea. So back in those days, people used to dance. So I'd go to dances and I'd ask girls if they're Christians and they'd kind of, <laughs> you know, didn't want to dance with me after that, you know. I had no idea. There's one girl that she said, oh, I'm a Catholic. I'm a Catholic. And she was pretty and I quite liked her. But she's a two-timer, but that's enough beside the story. Um, and, and she told me about going to the Catholic Church. Can you imagine if I had joined myself to the Catholic Church? What darkness I'd be in now? Superstition and all the hocus-pocus that Catholics do. Idol worship and everything like that. By the Lord's mercy, he kept. She told me where the where the, the church building was. When I went there, the thing was closed. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> but I, I eventually joined, found myself joined up to these brothers who were seeking. Listen, sisters. For you to reach your destiny, that you can participate in bringing Christ back, you have to join yourself to the right persons. You know, unfortunately, and I'm not pointing at anybody, but unfortunately, not everybody in the Lord's recovery is the right person. Some are critical, some are negative, you know, some are offensive, and some offend and say things and distract people. No, don't join yourself to that kind of thing. Join yourself where you can hear the word, enjoy the word, pursue with others, then you've got a future. You know, if if you read the New Testament, you realize not everybody who was in the church made it. Some ended up leaving, dissenting, getting carried away. There were evil ones in the church, even, even leading ones. We're, we're evil. You have to have the right person. So the right person is the one that you can join yourself to in pursuing Christ, that Christ becomes more real, more enjoyable day by day to you. Right? Isn't it amazing that we, we have a picture in the Old Testament that shows us this? Oh, you know, we, we have on, on, our, on our verses, um, that the first verse that we read tonight for, for this message is uh, in Matthew 1, 5. It says, and Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. How could... How could a condemned, sinful woman who was of the wrong race, the wrong race, a Canaanite, had, had no inheritance with God, had no way to be received by God naturally, how come she got included? Well, she got included because... She heard the word, she believed it, and she pursued it. You know, she didn't say, oh, yeah, I I heard, you know, you guys are going to come and take over and going to wipe us all out. I guess guess there's no hope for me. She didn't have that attitude. She begged them, save me, save my father's house. Whoa. And, And she's included in the book of James and in Hebrews, as an example of faith. You know, sisters, you have to have faith. If you don't have faith, exercise yourself, you'll stay in whatever environment you're in. But if you have faith, believe the Lord, pursue him strongly, join yourself to the right person, you'll end up in the lineage of Christ. And, you know, nobody... No, nobody has any, any boast in this. This is, this is altogether uh, the Lord's mercy that this can happen to us. But we have to take this way. If we don't take this way, 
We, we won't progress. Yeah, Amelia, you, you come from China. You hear the gospel. You get saved. Praise the Lord. You're in the Lord's recovery. But you have to stay joined. Joined to the ones that are pursuing. Don't join yourself to the Yum Cha Club. Do you know what I mean? Or the Bubble Tea Club. <laughs> you know, there are, there, are, there are young people. That's their, that's their fellowship. Yum Cha, Bubble Tea. Well, that's serious. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. Okay, let me read you another verse from Ephesians. Um, in chapter 3, uh, Paul, Paul talks about uh, having a stewardship and having a revelation. And he said, uh, I've written about it in the first two chapters. He said, when you read this, you can understand my, uh, perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. Which another generation was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets and spirit. You know, in old generations, you could not see clearly that God's salvation would come to Gentiles. There were some, there were some verses, but the Jewish people never saw that. They considered Gentiles as dogs, and even the Jews who became Christians at the Lord's time, they, many of them could not even bear to eat with a Gentile. A Gentile is any person who's not a Jew. It's of the nations. It's another, another word. But verse 6 says, um, no, verse 5, sorry, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets and spirit, that in Christ Jesus, the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise through the gospel. And Paul, Paul talks about himself as, as a being a minister to announce to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So just apply this, that in Joshua's time, Rahab became a fellow heir, a fellow member, and a partaker of the promise. She did not belong to Israel, but by her believing, she got joined to Israel. This is what's happened to us. We, we who should not, by rights, have the blessing that God promised to Israel, but God has been merciful, and he's opened a way that we can get into the blessings of salvation, of life, become a fellow heir. So that's a, that's a little picture of what happened to Ruth. She, she joined herself and then became a fellow partaker. So, you know, even though, you know, um, it talks about her past, you know, of course, Rahab the harlot, um, in the genealogy, she's just called Rahab. <laughs> There's been the forgiveness. There's been the cleansing. She's no longer the harlot. She's in the genealogy. And, you know, I, you, you, you have to read the footnotes. That's your homework before tomorrow morning. Read the footnotes relating to Tamar, Rahab, and, and Ruth. It's in the genealogy of Matthew 1. You know, in the Old Testament genealogies, women are not mentioned. You know, so you, you read the books and and I uh, just finished Chronicles and and the different kings. They they tell what the what the king's mother was, who the king's mother. But when they list the genealogies, it's always the men. It's always the men. But in the Lord's genealogy, you got five women. Five women. Now, if you're going to write a family tree. And, you know, everybody's got a skeleton back there. You know, there's a few in, in the Lord's genealogy, right? There's, there's, a, there's a few that are not that positive. 
if you're going to write your genealogy, if, if I was going to write it, I would write, you know, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Deborah, even though we're going to talk about Deborah tomorrow, she's not in the genealogy. But who got in the genealogy? Tamar. Woo. We're going to talk about that a bit later. Woo, that's serious. There was incest. They're really bad. You think being a harlot's bad, incest is worse. But she's in the genealogy. And she's in the Bible described as somebody who's righteous. Because, again, she had the faith. She had the pursuing what God wanted, even though she had this, this thing. Then, then you have Rahab, who's a harlot. And then you have Ruth, who's a Moabitess. The Moabites, they are the descendants of incestuous relationship of Lot. And so Moab, Moabites were not permitted to be in the temple for 10 generations. But she got in the genealogy. And we'll, we'll find out about her tomorrow night. She's wonderful. And then you have another lady, Uriah, who was involved, uh, sorry, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, who was involved with uh, adultery. They are in the Lord's genealogy. Why do you think, why do you think these women are included in the genealogy? Daphne? Why? Huh? They got joined to the right person for sure. For sure. But it's to, it's to testify, it's to testify. When the Lord came, he came identified with sinners. You know, when he was on the earth, he got accused of being a friend of sinners. You know, that was, that was the judgment people made against him. But he said, I didn't come to you. As a doctor, I didn't come to heal healthy people. Healthy people don't need me. I came for sick people. So the Lord, in God's sovereignty, these women, four of them, who are epitomized sinfulness, are included in the genealogy, showing the Lord is the savior of sinners. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> that gives us hope. The Lord is our savior. We can trust in him. We can believe in him. Amen? Well, I don't know if you appreciate this, but I surely do. I think this is wonderful that we can see such a parallel with what happened with Rahab and our taking the same steps of hearing the word, believing the word, joining ourselves to the right persons. You might be thinking, oh, man, I've joined the wrong person. Well, change. You can change your friends. You can't change your family, but you can change your friends. Right? If, you're, if, if, you're, if you're linked to somebody who has no interest in the Lord's word and doesn't want to pray, doesn't want to go to the meetings, doesn't want to have home meetings, doesn't want to seek the Lord, well, why hang out with them? Why don't you just hang out with somebody who wants to go on? I think you're all here, right, tonight, because you want to do that. You're hanging out with the right crowd tonight. Praise the Lord. Yeah, this is really good. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at the, out, the outline now. I've kind of given you a bird's eye view of it, and we can just mention a few little things. So Roman numeral 1 says, when the two spies came uh, to Jericho, Rahab, who was both a harlot and a Canaanite, contacted them and was willing to receive them, hide them, and deliver them by the acts that issued out of her faith. So she had believed, and, uh, you know, she showed her faith by her works, uh, James says. She believed in the God of Israel and declared, Jehovah, your God, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. 
Wow, praise the Lord. Some people hear the word, makes no difference. Other people hear it, they get infused. That's God's mercy. That the, the word, in her case, course, faith to generous. She was the only one, her family, the only one in the whole city. Hey, Jehovah provided Rahab the harlot to Joshua for the gaining of the land because of her faith in God. She did not perish with those who were disobedient. Right? So that's what Hebrew is talking about. All the others perished, but she didn't because of her faith in God. She turned to Israel and their God, and she trusted in him and his people. You know, when, when you believe in the Lord, that's this all you can do. You've you, you got no discernment. You just don't hardly know what's going on. You just got saved. You just, you just believe. Right? Believe in. It's wonderful. The Lord gives us the right people. And then B says, the sign for Rahab and her house to be saved was for her to hang a line of scarlet thread in the window of her house. The scarlet thread tied in the window typifies an open confession of the redeeming blood of Christ. She believed that by this side, she and her household would be delivered. Right? So you know what you have to do when you believe in the Lord? You have to confess him. You have to tell people you believe. If you don't tell people, you'll get sucked into the age. But you tell people... They realize, oh, better not invite that person to, to the pub. Better not invite that person to the party they, because you'd ruin it for them. Then C says, although Rahab was a condemned Canaanite and a prostitute in Jericho, a place cursed by God for eternity. Man, eternity. Cursed for eternity. After she turned to God and to God's people, she married Solomon, the son of a leader in Judah, a leading tribe of Israel, and probably one of the two spies. Then she brought forth Boaz, a godly man, out of whom Christ came. And she became associated with Christ in his incarnation for the fulfillment of God's eternal economy. Can you imagine that? Here's this harlot in a cursed city actually gets associated with Christ being incarnated, with Christ coming, fulfilling God's economy. That's what happened to you. You got associated with him. You got into God's eternal economy. So D says, this shows, I love this, that regardless of our background, if we turn to God and his people and are joined to the proper persons among God's people, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, we will bring forth proper fruit and participate in the enjoyment of the birthright of Christ. And all of these verses here, a verse is showing uh, first Joshua uh, following Moses, being joined to Moses. And then Elisha being joined to Elijah. And then the New Testament ones of Timothy uh, uh, being, being like sold with Saul and being able to teach people what, what Paul teaches and practices in all the churches. So it's a big thing. It's a big thing. We join ourselves to the right person. Amen? Okay, so then the next uh, two Roman numerals. After the destruction of Jericho, Israel was defeated at Ai, at Jericho, according to God's economy. Joshua sent out spies not for fighting, but to gain Rahab, right? That was the main thing. It wasn't just defeat that city, but to get Rahab, to get the right person for the Lord's coming. Because Israel had lost 
the presence, uh, sorry, but at Ai, because Israel had lost the presence of the Lord, Joshua sent out spies for fighting. So the first time, the spies went to Jericho. Basically, the whole story is about getting Rahab, right? Because they didn't have to spy it out because the way they won the battle has got nothing to do with what they saw. They went to get, get her. But they got self-confident, and so they came to Ai. Oh, we don't all need to go up there. And they didn't even pray. They didn't ask the Lord, how should we do it? So they just went out there in self-confidence, and actually uh, they ended up getting defeated. And then, you know, it was found out that they'd lost the Lord's presence because Achan had stolen stuff that was consecrated for destruction. You know, do you think they had to have 30-something men killed to find that out? Maybe if Joshua had prayed with the other leaders, had prayed, Lord, what shall we do? The Lord could have told him, don't go up. you got sin in the camp. you got to deal with the sin. But instead, they didn't pray. They went up, and they ended up getting defeated. So Joshua, and then, then you, okay, what's the, what's the illustration that you get from this? You know, Israel was like a wife. There's so many verses that show that Jehovah was a husband. Israel was a wife. Israel was like a wife. But the wife just made her own mind up and went and did something. She didn't. She didn't go to the husband. How should we do? And you know, there's a very important principle in the church life. We don't act ourselves. Whether the church is a wife, we don't act, make decisions ourselves. We always have to go to the husband. Always have to look to the Lord for the leading. No matter how long you've been around, you have to do that. Right? But also, how about, how about in our family life? We also need to do that. If a wife makes a decision on her own, she opens the door for the enemy. That's what happened in the garden. That's what Adam, Eve did. Toby was telling me, where was Adam in that story? She was off on her own somewhere. So, you know, when you're, when you're off on your own, doing your own thing, um, then the devil can pick you off. So then you get the second principle in Roman numeral three. Joshua 9.14 is a very powerful portion of the scriptures that shows why the children of Israel were deceived by the Gideon, Gibeonites. They did not ask for the counsel of Jehovah. Thus Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. What happened was the Gibeonites were one of the, the tribes in, in Canaan, in the land of Canaan, who were quite close, had heard about what was happening, realized they were all going to get wiped out. So they came up with a scheme to make out they're from a long, long way away. And they got all these old clothes and all moldy bread and, and all broken up wineskins and made out that they'd been on a long, long journey and uh, they said, oh, we heard about you, and, uh, you know, we just want to make peace. And, and uh, Joshua and the others go, yeah, fair enough. Okay, you can make peace. They didn't even pray about it. And for the rest, the rest of Israel history, the Gibeonites gave them trouble. So, A, the children of Israel were deceived because they were like a wife who forgot her husband. That's why Toby said to you, don't forget your husband. Forget your children. Don't forget your husband. (laughs) My wife should never leave her husband. Rather, she she should always rely on him and be one with him. When the Gibeonites came to Israel as the wife, Israel should have gone to her husband and checked with him about what to do. 
It's a, it's a big relief, sisters, to ask your husband. And the onus is off you. The responsibility is off you. If he, he makes the wrong decision, you can say, well, it's your decision. <laughs> you should have prayed more yourself. <laughs> but when, 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 when the wife does it, then that has a lot of serious implications. So C says, the result of Israel's not seeking the counsel of her husband was that this independent and individualistic wife was deceived. And she had no protection, no safeguard. From this record in the scriptures, we need to learn that as the Lord's wife, we should co-live with him, always relying on him and being one with him all the time. Amen. 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 Oh, Lord. Lord, strengthen us as your wife to always rely on you. Forgive us of being independent and individualistic. Lord, teach us to enjoy your presence, to seek your fellowship. Oh, go on with us, Lord. We look to you. Thank you for this word. Oh, Lord, may you bless it to every hearer. Amen. Okay, so how about we just pray a little bit, and then we'll have some overflow. Toby will lead us on how to uh, go from here. Just maybe you can just lean toward your. Yeah. Just lean towards your partner.